you know, Irish kids who are going to see us play. They're going to see us compete on this awesome stadium at this, you know, big event. It's just getting the content and getting the eyeballs onto the success of Irish baseball. The more and more that that happens, the more the wheel's going to keep spinning with a lot of these young kids. Because the talent's there. It truthfully is there. There will be an Irish-born player who competes and plays in the major league at some point with more and more of these opportunities being put in front of them. Hello and welcome to episode 63 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. You just heard from former Major League pitcher Ryan O'Rourke, who will be my guest today on the show. Ryan is one of the many players with professional or college experience who will be suiting up for the Irish Wolfhounds on June 17th in Rockland County, New York in a game against the NYPD Finest Baseball Club. For tickets and more information, head to irishbaseball.org. Right now, let's welcome Ryan O'Rourke to the show. Thanks for being here, Ryan. Thank you. Glad to be here. I want to jump right into it. The Irish Wolfhounds going to be taking on the NYPD Finest All-Stars coming up on June 17th. How excited are you to be a part of this ball club? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, from three facets of my life, this is an incredible opportunity. Super happy to be asked to join the team. Super happy to even, uh, I guess, you know, play against the NYPD. Baseball shaped my life. Ireland is obviously a big part of my life. And my dad is a uh, Worcester police officer as well. So kind of all three of them have come together here. That is a shock that an Irish American would be a police officer in Massachusetts. I think that's the first time that has ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. The first one, uh, (laughs) I think there's seven O'Rourke police officers in Worcester alone. So uh, yeah, a little rare. So to be a part of this team, obviously, since your professional career has ended, you have had to keep up, stay in shape, and be ready to compete at this level. What keeps you motivated to stay in baseball shape even after you've retired? I I play in a um, – I got invited, I should say, to a, a men's league, a premier men's league in the Boston area, the Lexington Blue Sox. And it was an opportunity for me to keep my skills going if I did decide to want to keep playing professionally. And when that, and I kind of moved beyond all that, I took on kind of a mentor role, I think, with that team while also playing. Baseball is just always going to be a part of me. And I know that opportunities with Ireland and opportunities here, you know, I have to be at the top of my game. I can't just show up and and expect to uh, succeed. Um, So, you know, I'm just using... This opportunity is a way to, um, you know, keep the competition and keep my uh, keep my fire going. What is it going to mean to you emotionally to sort of suit up for Ireland, even though this isn't a national team, but it is a team put together for Irish baseball players, the Irish Wolfhounds. You're going to wear Irish across your chest. What does that mean to you, knowing the importance of your Irish heritage in your life? I think the quote, you know, you always are supposed to play for the name on the front of your jersey, not the back. And that rings true here, but it also rings true that I'm playing for both. Like my family, born and raised, you know, grew up in Ireland and immigrated over to America. So to, you know, carry Ireland on the front, O'Rourke on the back and just, you know, 
put those two together and represent not only the country, but my family and myself, it's, uh, it, I don't know, words just can't really describe it. I'm super proud of my heritage and I'm just super proud to, you know, be able to play and represent both, you know, family, Ireland, and, you know, hopefully pull out a W. So let's talk a little bit about your professional career. What were some of the highlights? What are some of the moments that when you look back on your career, you say, man, that really made it worth it that I was able to accomplish X, Y, and Z? Yeah, in my career, I, I look back at it. I haven't really taken a full, you know, a full look back yet and an aerial view of it, but there are a few moments that really stick out. Um, getting drafted, I was in my backyard, had a little party with friends and family. To hear my name get called and to get a call and to be there with, you know, with all of them was just a special moment, something I'll never forget. Pitching your first pitch in a professional game, a minor league game in the middle of Tennessee was just cool. It's kind of that I made it moment. Um, and then obviously my major league debut, I, I don't know if anything will top that from a a friends and family standpoint, because they, everyone had made so many sacrifices and had done so much for me to get to that point that that one really, really sticks out. And it was just the culmination of years of ups and downs, successes and failures. So to get out of my first inning without a run to see my family in the crowd, it was, uh, that was really special. But if I look back at a moment that defines me and defines my career, it was, probably when I made it back to the major leagues after Tommy John surgery, because I had so much go right in my career and also so much go wrong in my career from high school to college in the minor leagues. I, I just felt like I always had my back up against the wall. Um, I was never a top prospect. It, I, I never at the forefront of scouts minds or coaches minds. So I think I just persevered through to get there. And then when my Tommy John happened and, you know, I was basically uh, over 30 years old, which is a dinosaur in major leagues. So once that all happened and I finally made it back again with the New York Mets, first batter, Joey Votto, MVP, and I struck him out. And that was just like, man, you know, everything had gone right, had gone wrong, my injury. But to finally, like, get back there, that was just my personal hard work, determination, grit to get that moment. So personally for me, that's, that's just an individual moment. I will never forget. And you just mentioned Joey Votto in that answer. Was there ever a time in your career where you sort of sat back and you were like, I'm 60 feet, six inches away from this player and man, I got to try to get him out right now. And you just let that sink in who was standing in front of you. It happened twice in my career where I'm usually trying to be nameless and faceless to the players and because I'm trying to get you out. I'm trying to provide for myself, my family, everything. But the two times in my career, the first one was Albert Pujols and the second time was Miguel Cabrera. And the Pujols one was the first one because it must have been my first or second week in the major league. So I'm still as, as green as they come. I'm I'm still bright-eyed and smiling every time I walk to the field. It's at Angel Stadium. I come into the game, you know, now pitching Ryan O'Rourke, and, you know, they're, like, now coming to the plate, Albert Pujols. 
and I stepped off the mound and in my head, my thought was two weeks ago, I was playing MLB the show with this guy, like <laughs> playing video games with this person. And now two weeks later, I'm trying to get him out. And I remember in my head, I was like, all right, you know, up and out might be a cold spot. So I'm trying to just like lock in. And he actually, I think he grounded one up the middle and it was the first hit I ever gave up. So, um, the first hit I ever gave up was Albert Pujols. I'm sure that was hit number, you know, 3,400 of his career or whatever it was. But it's a memorable one for me just because of the the scenario. That's fantastic. So you have this really solid connection with Ireland. Like you said, both of your parents coming from Ireland. Do you get back? Do you get to visit a lot? Do you have that history where not only are they from there but you really talked about it a lot as you were growing up as a kid yeah I do get back I've been back ever since I got my passport I've been twice since then uh we actually went to my where my grandfather was born he was born in Spanish Point Milltown Malbay saw his house it's crazy to think that there was six or seven people living in that back in the day but you know we did the tour of Dublin and Galway, um, got to play golf at Old Head. So, I mean, I just, I love Ireland. I went back and I ran a baseball camp uh, in Dublin for, I want to say 50 to 75 people a few years ago, just to, uh, you know, advance their skills to show them, you know, what the competition's like in America and also to give them an, an insight on, you know, you guys are not far off. There's players in Ireland who are supremely talented who are not far off from being competitive on the United States levels and especially in a international European level as well. Um, and I think that there's um, there's a lot of pride in Ireland. You know, I'm proud to be an Irish citizen, proud to have my heritage there. And I think the more and more that from a baseball standpoint that we realize that the Irish players can't compete, that you'll see us make some noise on a national level. And that is such a big part of why we're doing the Irish Wolfhounds, why we have Emerald Diamond International, the Irish American Baseball Society, is trying to grow the game of baseball, the game that we all love, in the country that we all love. When you're dealing with younger kids playing baseball over there in Dublin, what do you think they need to have that next level not just supplies not just equipment but what do they need motivationally to see that Irish baseball players can compete at a high level I think you hit it right on the head Rick that they just need to see it if I look back at the world baseball classic this past year it was a sensational tournament and you had a team from Czech Republic who their pitcher struck out Mike Trout. You know, their pitcher got went a one, two, three against premier athletes. I think Shohei Otani was, you know, also uh, a couple international pitchers got him out as well. So if you were to, if I was a seven to 10 year old Irish kid and I'm turning on my TV and seeing someone from my country compete against these baseball behemoths and these baseball Mount Rushmore, that's going to turn me onto the sport. That's going to want me to make get better. That's going to be a face or a name that I recognize moving forward. So the Wolfhounds team, there's going to be, 
you know, Irish kids who are going to see us play. They're going to see us compete on this awesome stadium at this, you know, big event. It's just getting the content and getting the eyeballs onto the success of Irish baseball. The more and more that that happens, the more the wheel's going to keep spinning with a lot of these young kids. Because the talent's there. It truthfully is there. There will be an Irish-born player who competes and plays in the major league at some point with more and more of these opportunities being put in front of them. If they can see it happening now at seven and 10 years old, it's only going to keep continuing pushing them forward and making them want to get better and want to play on these national stages. I'm going to have a conversation coming up on the podcast with a guy named Scott Crawford, and he is from the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And one of the things that we discuss in this conversation is that even though Canada was never going to win the World Baseball Classic, like they were overmatched a lot in the World Baseball Classic. Once they got to that level and you start seeing Japan and the United States and Puerto Rico and Mexico and some of these stacked countries, they knew they weren't going to win. But just having that Canadian team in that tournament to show the younger generation that there is a path to move to some of these bigger things, he said that's a big deal. That really does help them promote the game in Canada. So I think what I'm hearing you say is it's not like we're pie in the sky here. Like we understand that even if an Irish team were to make the world baseball classic, it would not be to step in and put six runs on Shohei Otani right away, but it would be the next step in really growing the game in Ireland. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's exactly that the attitude from my position and from, I think a lot of the players, you know, on this Wolfhounds team is to grow the game. It's just to show that we can compete, not saying we're going to win. I, I think you're exactly right. I don't expect Ireland to take down USA in the 2025 world baseball classic. I'm not saying that, but just the opportunity to step on the same field as, as those people, you know, as some of these Titans in baseball, I know I'm for myself from a small town kid, Worcester, Massachusetts, I got to the big stage and baseball has opened up so many opportunities in my life. And to be able to hopefully grow the game in Ireland and then to open up opportunities for the younger kids in Ireland, whether it's through baseball or through coming to America, whatever it is, playing college, getting scholarships, there's plenty of avenues to grow the game and open up opportunities by representing Ireland on a lot of these domestic and international stages. So people definitely need to check out the Irish Wolfhounds versus the NYPD finest on June 17th. Before I let you go, I just want to talk some general baseball because it's always nice on this show to cover some of the topics that are being discussed in the game at a broader level. And one that I want to talk about with you as a pitcher we now have the pitch clock in Major League Baseball. You've gotten to see it for a couple months now. What are you yeah. thinking about the pitch clock, and how do you think that would have affected you as a pitcher on the mound? We had the pitch clock when I was in the minor leagues. I am so – give me the ball. 
put my foot on the mound, let's go, get in the box. You know, I it wouldn't have affected me. I don't think I would have been bothered by this at all. But I also do see that there are some pitchers trying to take advantage of it, you know, waiting till the eight seconds and then quick pitching someone or getting set right away in a long hold until you get to a certain point. Eventually, over time, I think the batters are going to kind of catch up to this. And maybe that, you know, it balances the the scales a little bit, but it's good for the game. I mean, if you look at game times now, obviously they're a lot faster. I will say some of the pitch clock calls are a little egregious. I think I saw last week someone was playing in his hometown or his home team that he grew up with for the majority of his years. He tipped his cap and they called him for a violation. Let's have a little feel umpires in my eyes there. <laughs> It is great for the game. I think it's it wouldn't have affected me. I was I was already ripping, roaring to go. But you know, for some of those other people, it's just going to pick up the pace. Um, I will say the one thing that uh, and I follow uh, driveline baseball. They're a you know kind of a pitching and baseball development out in Seattle, Washington. The injuries and the pitching arms is I think that's gonna they're gonna need to study that because if if you've got a guy or a pitcher who's giving maximum effort on a pitch and he doesn't have as much time to recover. We're talking seconds, but those seconds add up, especially from a starting standpoint, if you're constantly having to throw in under 20 seconds, um, I do think it's fatiguing the arms a little bit more, but that's something that I don't think they thought about when they implemented this. So that may be one of the, you know, the points that they, that may be a, a pushback to the, to the baseball pitching clock. So as a lefty, this might not necessarily have affected you as much as some of the other rule changes, but what about the pickoff attempt rule? You got to keep your eye a little bit more on the running game, but a lot of right-handers, man, this one I think is going to start to affect them even more than it has already. Yeah, I agree completely about the the pickoff rule, especially some of those base dealers who are aggressive, take aggressive leads. They're just going to entice you, a, a right-hander more than a lefty, I think. They're going to entice you to pick over knowing that you only have a couple. And once you're out of bullets, they'll just get even bigger leads and they'll take huge jumps on you. Um, and I think over time, you're right, batters and – sorry, base runners, batters are going to keep studying these pitchers and studying how big of a lead they can get, how many times they pick over. And eventually, they're going to figure some of these pitchers out and understand their tendencies. And then it's just going to be a merry-go-round on the bases. And then another hot topic among baseball fans is the analytics. And I just want to know firsthand, as somebody coming up through a minor league organization, making it to the big leagues, on a day-to-day -day basis, how much were analytics something that were discussed around you, that were a part of your life? Or was that something that pretty much stuck with the front office and you were just focused on the mechanics, on the details, on the repetition. From an analytics standpoint, a lot of it is organization to organization based, depending on how much resources and funds they're going to put into you know, their departments and their development there. For me personally, when I was with the Twins, we were archaic when I first started. I, analytics wasn't even a word that was discussed when I first jumped in. Now, maybe the front office had focused on it, but it wasn't brought to any of the players. It was probably around my double A season, call it 2014, 
2015 when we got iPads and we had scouting reports and we had opponent reports, batter tendencies. And that was when analytics really started jumping in a bit more. And then once you got, once I got to the major leagues is when, you know, it, it kind of just really took off and we had, you know, coaches who were designed or who were employed solely to explain the analytics to us, explain our pitch usage, our pitch tendencies, the way our ball spins, the certain pitches we should throw in certain counts. Once that really started coming into, you know, full effect across the major leagues is where, you know, I, I saw my usage really start to change. I was mainly fastballs and would throw curves and splitters and changeups at a variety. And, and once they studied my usage a little more, they basically told me, scrap your fastball to half of its usage and just throw a ton of sliders now. And it worked and, and I understood it and they show you the numbers and they showed you the philosophy and why it stuck. And, it, you know, it, it helped me. It definitely helped and may have extended my career. So I'm grateful now I would have maybe liked that when I first started, but you know, <laughs> it, it really wasn't a, it, not that it was just the twins. It really wasn't big around the league. There may have been three to five teams doing it in 2010 when I first got drafted, you know, using an analytics focus. And nowadays we're called 10 plus years later. If you're not, you're you're way behind way behind the eight ball. I like how you're describing the situation is that the coaches were actually telling you what the analytics meant so that you weren't just getting these numbers, weighted runs created plus whip, you know, all of those different numbers that can be overwhelming. They were saying this is the number. This is what it means, and this is how it is affecting the game on a day-to-day -day basis. This is how you're going to prevent runs if you do these things. As much as analytics has really taken over the game in the front offices, even down to coaching staffs now, I think one of the things that the analytics community really needs to do is explain to the fans the real world practical applications of analytics and what these numbers mean to the game that you're watching inning for inning. Yeah, I, I agree. I was watching a game the other day and I think it was Blake Snell may have been on the mic and they asked him what weighted runs created plus means. He's like, I have no idea. And then you ask the announcer, they had no idea either. So there do needs to be a practical application of, of these stats and of these analytics and also a practical explanation to the fans. Hey, this is, you know, player X hits 200 as an average, which is a, you know, a, a standard fan looks like, oh, that's, he's not a great hitter. You know, I would look at that. He's not a great hitter. But if his on-base percentage is 350, and his slugging's 500, he's an 850 OPS guy. He's probably a, an elite hitter in a sense for their team. They may keep him in the eighth spot, but you know he's producing runs despite hitting the ball once every five at-bats. So having some type of explanation to an everyday fan would be, uh, it would probably put a little bit more meaning behind all these numbers and letters. I'm sure to some fans, it's a little bit of algebra at times. And I saw your Joey Gallo reference there, even if other people didn't pick up on it. But I think that 
what we're saying here with this conversation is a lot of times the analytics are the things that you already knew about baseball. It's just maybe we're finding a little more importance one way or the other on something like slugging or getting on base where maybe we didn't weight it just enough before. Ryan O'Rourke, this was such a fantastic conversation. I can't wait to see you throwing against the NYPD finest on June 17th for the Irish Wolfhounds. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hope everyone comes out to the game. Um, if you watch the NYPD versus uh, Fire, NY Fire Department hockey game, it's an elite event, and I hope this baseball against the NYPD uh, takes right after that. The Irish Wolfhounds will take on the NYPD Finest Baseball Club on June 17th in Rockland County, New York. Make sure to get your Wolfhounds gear at irishbaseball.org. After three straight weeks with an episode, we will return to our regular schedule of every other Monday on June 19th when I talk to Jake Heyman of the U.S. War Dogs. Jake manages one of many U.S. War Dogs teams consisting of active duty members of the U.S. military and veterans. Until then, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 63 of the Irish Baseball Podcast.